new season of Rocco's Modern Life is new, 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 new. New shows rocking with Rocco. I'm so happy. New adventures heaping with heifer. I'll have nine bratwurst supremes and a cup of wiener nuggets. New tales spunked out with Spunky. <laughs> new episodes busting out with big heads. Quit looking at my butt. And best of all, it's inflatable. Rocco's Modern Life this Sunday at 11:30, 10:30 Central, only on Nick. Oh my! Welcome to Splatter and Betty's podcast, Honoring the Slidefield Past. I'm your anxious triangle wearing Bobby, Brett. And I'm your laid back best bovine buddy, Alex. And Brett! Yes, Alex? What are we doing in O-Town today? Is this a special occasion, or are we just here to watch the fat heads on the boob tube again? <laughs> well, Alex, as destiny would have it, we're celebrating another anniversary this time around. Two in a row? Dude, you're giving me flashbacks of our first two podcast episodes. Oh! <laughs> I know, strange, isn't it? Uh, I mean, guess... Much like the animation production pipeline, uh, life happens in cycles. And while none of us are exactly riding a bike through O-Town to see all the history lined in its inked and painted walls, it'll still be a hoot to go through Rocco's history at his house and look back at all the zany, funny, uncomfortable, and heartfelt moments the show has to offer. Oh, gosh, I mean, there, there's so much to unpack for all this. Where do we even start? We, we've got to get the show going. Uh, yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, was it, Spunky? Someone at the door? There he is! Now all we have to do is get Brett drinking a glass of milk and we have our smash hit sequel. <laughs> what in the blazes? He saw us! Hey, what's going on? Carl, <laughs> Russ, what do you two do filming my nakedness? Give me that camera. <laughs> well, we were just in the neighborhood. Heard you guys were doing an anniversary episode and we thought you could use some company. Yeah, we just wanted to get on the action. Honest. Oh, all right. You two are definitely big fans of the show like we are, so come on in and uh, we'll get that episode started. As long as we're not naked. <laughs> Let the party begin. Let the TV party begin. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, before we get started with the episode, I do have to say this is the first time that we've ever had Russ and Carl together, and I... I don't know if both of you know this, but I mean, I've talked with Russ, I've talked with Carl, and, and I love you guys. I think you're awesome. And whenever I think Nick collectors, I think of these two. And and uh, when I think of just love for 90s in general, I think of these two. So these two together make me very, very excited. So I'm very excited both of you guys are here. Thanks for coming out again. Appreciate it, man. Pleasures, pleasures mine. I feel like the pleasures Carl's as well. Like I, this is this is obviously up our alley. Yeah, I mean, whenever I think of like Nick collectors, I think of Russ. So you know, I'm I'm excited to be. And this is we've talked online before, but this is the first time we've been able to like chat, you know, face to face somewhat. So this is totally a it's cool, right? Well. It's like a cool level of uh, respect. And uh, you know, I love I love um, I love this podcast. I love. Um, just the whole nostalgia of it. I love other Nick collectors. It's really cool, right? So for me, this is like, I said it before, I'll say it again, you know, growing up, 
um, I thought I was like the only one into this. And then you find out you're not and you connect and it's, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a splat attack first to have you two combine forces together. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. For those who don't know, uh, we've had Carl and Russ on previous episodes. We've actually had Carl on our Camera Shy Patreon episode, which was a Rocco's Modern Life episode review. That was tons of fun. Definitely go check that out. And uh, we've also had Carl on the Love Spanks I Love Chicken Versus at the beginning of Season 4 of Patreon, in addition to uh, the DOS Bus Yellow Fever Versus, and most recently, our Legends 30th Anniversary Special. So we're, uh, we're, always, we're always excited to have our friends come back for more 90s Nick content to share with us. Well, Greg, you, you you had said Carl was in the camera shy episode. That was Russ. But, oh, sorry, uh, I meant I meant Carl. My wires were crossed. That's okay. Easy to easy to do. My Carl wires so, were crossed. <laughs> too many characters to keep track of. Yeah, I, I try. I got that file cabinet in my head where I keep track of every single episode by by number, letter, and symbol. But you know, some things slip through the cracks. They I'm do. not a conglomerate employee. <laughs> <laughs> Be good. Okay, you better keep up. You better keep you're up or you'll get out. You're fired. Uh, well, before we get going into the history of Rocco, uh, let's talk about some of our childhood memories. Uh, what do you remember most vividly when you experienced Rocco as a child? And what kept you coming back? I, I'd, I'd be happy to start because Rocco was my favorite show, my favorite Nicktoon on, on you know Nickelodeon. Um, and, and just like there's there's are you afraid of the dark and then there's Rocco kind of right below it um so I loved Rocco's modern life my uh best friend throughout grade school and junior high Brendan Warren shout out to Brendan Warren um we we both were Rocco fanatics and uh we would quote the show incessantly um and I probably you know grew a love for like impersonating voices because of all of the incredible character voices from Rocco. And um, so, yeah, one episode in particular, I think it's called Zanzibar. It's the musical one. Um, we would like sing those songs all the time in school. I'm sure the rest of our classmates hated us, but we weren't even like super <laughs> environmentalists or anything like that. But it's just it's so catchy and and fun how could you not you know love that uh, rock was an interesting one for me you know i feel like um that's when nick really hit its stride you know you had the first three nick tunes come out so you've got you know rugrats doug ren and stimpy and then rocco comes out and it's kind of in that the big six right because following that is all real monsters and then hey arnold and then we kind of start to go out of the heyday at that point. I think we can all sort of agree. And there are other shows that are still wonderful that are going on and fun. I'm a big fan of As Told by Ginger. I'm, you know, there are, so there are other shows that I really do love that came afterwards, but those I believe were the big six. Mm -hmm. And Rocco is that sort of, um, if you had Rugrats on the really honest side, sort of, you know, and then you, you know, follow it up with, with Doug. Beside that is of course Rocco. And then on the extreme is Ren and Stampy. And so Rocco fits that, that, spot where it's like you feel like you're getting away with something by watching it because the humor is so out there but your parents are still letting you watch it so it kind of had that zone for me and um i just loved it loved it it was always a good time when it came on and um, i just have a lot of great fond memories just funny memories of it and it's 
it's sort of one of those shows that it's a lot of eye candy, the colors, the sounds, even now, like the music will just randomly play in my head at any given moment. And um, you just feel like even watching it today, watching it now, it's like the it's smart to rewatch it again as an adult. It's actually a lot smarter than I think we could possibly understand as kids. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Murray definitely knew what he was doing with putting layers of humor and characterization into this Tons. show. And there's like tropes that are still used in shows today. Like you still, you know, and it, and it harkens back to a lot of really interesting things. Yeah. Well, we were talking about in the um, love spanked uh, versus episode, the, all of the, um, the similarities between Rocco and SpongeBob and, you know, the influence that, that, and it's so cool to see the progression from like, Ren and Stimpy with the, the gross-ups into Rocco, into Spongebob to see that progression. I don't know where it's been after Spongebob. I kind of quit watching when Spongebob came along. but Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Um, it, a lot of the... I, I would say that Ren and Stimpy and Rocco sowed the seeds for Spongebob to, to germinate because it, it lifts a lot of humor from both of them, both visually and uh, writing-wise. And also you have uh, Doug Lawrence, who plays Filbert on Rocco, move on over to Spongebob uh, as Plankton, the voice of Plankton, also a writer and director. And then you got, of course, the legendary Tom Kenny, who does the voice of Heifer here, going to do the, you know, the titular character Spongebob. Um, it's, it, it's got it in its DNA, so it's hard to shake from it, even if, you know, it's a very divisive Nicktoon and also like a, a threshold of like, Nick fans where you kind of draw the line, whether you're more on the classic side or more on the modern side. But, you know, regardless of where fans stands, uh, no one can deny that Rocco is a cartoon of its own breed and all the better for it, for having that unique, crazy identity that that feels humble like Doug, but also extreme like Ren and Stimpy. Uh, for me, and, and I had mentioned this before, I think on the, on the last two times we've talked about Rocco, but as a kid, I didn't really, it didn't connect with me as a kid. Uh, I remember only laughing at a couple of things, but I, I think it was the, like Russ was talking about how smart it was, I think it was targeting more an older audience than what I was. And I just didn't, I, I didn't connect with it because Ren and Stimpy was really, really smart at being stupid. Uh, Rocco was very, very smart at making fun of what was going on in the 90s at the time. And I didn't know any of that. And uh, the only thing I saw was a bunch of the slapstick, goofy humor. And as much as I loved Ren and Stimpy, and still do, as a kid, I didn't quite get it. Uh, spunky, I just didn't care for Spunky. Uh, I, I didn't care for Heifer. I especially didn't care for Heifer. I just thought he was an <laughs> awful, awful friend. And why is Rocco keep hanging out with him? And then there were some gross-out humor in here, which, ironically, Ren and Stimpy never bothered me with its gross-ups and things like that. Uh, but some of the ideas for this one really got to me, especially when they got to the amusement park and, and did some of the like like the nosebleed stuff was like, I don't like that at all. But that was that was young child me. Uh when I've when I grew up and I got back into Nickelodeon again and I have yet uh, even as of the time of this recording, I have yet to watch the whole series again. 
just because I haven't had the time. I really wanted to go back and watch the series and prep for this episode. But for those of you who don't know, whenever I'm constantly having to edit for other episodes that we're working on, I don't have the time, uh, much of the time, to, to binge watch entire shows. So I haven't had the chance to really watch any Rocco um, outside of just the few episodes that we've covered on the podcast so far. And what I've seen, oh my gosh, it's hysterical. It, it, I, I totally connect with that because I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm the target audience, but I'm now, as an adult, realizing what was going on in the 90s while also watching a show that's making fun of all these tropes. And it's 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 brilliant. And I, I, I'm very excited to go back and watch the rest of the show. So a lot of my impressions throughout this episode is going to be mostly information giving and basic childhood memories but that's why we've got the rest here and if you really want some good strong memories and someone who's very very passionate about Rocco I hand the microphone to Mr. Brett well for anyone who may or may not know I am a diehard Rocco fan um, this show heavily influenced my art style and my love of cartoons growing up along with Doug and Courage Cowardly Dog uh, which I mentioned in previous episodes on this podcast and I was there since day one, so it's a real blast from the past to be celebrating the 30th anniversary and, like, just warp back to, oh, what was it? I was, I was five years old when I saw Rucka's Modern Life, and uh, I'm going to show it on screen, but I actually have a picture of the original poster I got from Toy Works one Saturday when I spent my $5 allowance for doing chores on it, and, I'm, and I immediately hung it up on my wall. I'm like, wow, what an amazing cartoon. I just kept staring and studying all the colors on it. I kept looking at like all the details of Rocco's shirt and Spunky. And I'm just like, I want to make that someday. And it felt really special to have something to really appreciate on a whole new level that, you know, maybe not everyone at school understood, but at least I could, I could appreciate it for what it was. And there, there were a few friends I'd made along the way who also uh, share that passion for it. So it's it's great to celebrate the show. It's it's great to see how far it's come and just kind of dive and weave and bup, um, duck and bob through all the different areas of its of its legacy to see what really tickled our fancy and uh, just give us those wonderful memories that we still enjoy today and beyond. Well said, Matt. Uh, well, I guess we're going to go into uh, Rocco's history a little bit. Um, and it, I, I just want to preface with this that uh, we had mentioned previously in the Hey Arnold Jungle Saga episode that we did uh, that uh, having Joe Murray on our episode or podcast would complete my personal Mount Rushmore of uh, heroes I look up to. Well, I contacted him a couple times uh, leading up to this episode, and I described the situation of you know what we do for a podcast that were mainly video based, and that seemed to concern him a bit because uh, he's much older now, and maybe he just pre prefers having more privacy. But for reasons that I don't fully understand, but still respect, he uh, declined our invitation to be on this episode. So, uh, with that being said. He, he did give me access to his book, Creating Anime Cartoons with Character, which I had studied a bit for this uh, from 2010. So I'm very grateful for that. So what Joe, Joe Murray mentions on his uh, lead into animation, because he got his start in the, in the 80s before he got going with Rocco, he, he mentions on page 19 of the book, 
Running my own studio, doing mostly advertising illustration work, was stable, but I felt unfulfilled without expressing my creative side or making someone laugh with my cartoons. I continued to pursue syndication for my comic strips, but each attempt was met with encouragement and no contract. On the last strip, I got a call from a syndicate editor who said I was trying to do too much with a small strip. You always seem to run out of room, he said. You try and tell stories that are too big for a comic strip. Have you ever considered animation? No, I grunted and thanked him for yet another encouraging rejection. What I didn't know then was how prophetic he really was. So, uh, you know, much like uh, Craig Bartlett, who also did some cartoon strips and even the Penny cartoons on Pee-wee's Playhouse, he also got his feet wet drawing and doing different things that helped form the ideas and he didn't jump into the series right away. So that's it's fun to see some behind uh, events transpire here. It's very, very similar beats to what uh, Mark Wiener went through in getting his mm -hmm. show off the ground. Right. Yeah, there's like a primordial developmental phase where you get little hints of it here and then, and then it starts to just get more and more and more formed. Uh, he also goes on to say on the premiere of the Rocco's Modern Life series when it first aired, it was the fall of 1993. I was sitting in a Los Angeles eatery awaiting the primetime premiere of my own Nickelodeon animated series, Rocco's Modern Life, with both nervousness and shock. My crew of 50, the ones who had survived the previous nine months, were with me, also eager to see whether my challenge would come true. The challenge that I had laid out at the beginning of the journey of creating a show we would all be proud to watch and that would thoroughly entertain us. It was, after all, television animation, one of the roughest canvases any artist could ever work on. As the sometimes grumpy producer and director of this amazing crew in LA and a crew of 200 in Korea, I had never experienced a year in which I felt so creatively energized, engulfed, and pushed to the limit, and proud of the artists working side by side with me. In short, up to that point in my life, I had never felt so totally alive. While we were waiting, I began to think, how did I get here? An independent animated filmmaker with no TV experience? Producing and directing my own show on a well-known cable network? Sounds like it, uh, it really hit him. It seemed just unreal to be there but you know of course we're all happy that he made it happen thanks to talking to certain people at nickelodeon and uh doing the trash of madness pilot for them who's responsible for this nick's gonna tell who makes rocco meet the creator hi i'm joe murray I'd like to show you around the studio this is the background apartment hello hi hi hello <laughs> everything in the show needs to be closely monitored and designed i think the best outfit in the entire show is rocco's shirt my shirt in here, we have one of our more psychotic writers. It's an unusual, really interesting place to work. Now you know who's responsible for Rocco. This is the inside of Rocco's body. On the only network for you. Who's responsible for this? Nick's gonna tell who makes Rocco. I would love to be more like Rocco. Meet Joe Murray, the creator. I used to draw endlessly. There was a period of time where I wanted to be an astronaut. About the time of late elementary school, I decided I wanted to be a cartoonist. <laughs> I had a TV fall in my head when I was a kid. Which is probably why I'm producing television right now. Now you know who's responsible for Rocco. Rocco is a, is a real hero. On the only network for you. It seemed like it was really right place at the right time. You know, I was reading that um, he was sort of someone with no experience. They were a network with new experience and they were trying whatever. And um, they were throwing whatever to the wall and see what stuck. And, you know, he kind of... I'm simplifying it, but it, it, it sounds like he sort of just showed up on their doorstep with 
you know, very loosely drawings and, and those turned into what was this magnificent show. And uh, it would never happen that way these days. No, no. I think there were something about the way the planets aligned in the late 80s, early 90s, just bust the doors wide open, not only for Rocco, but for numerous other shows that I study up on for this podcast and even just for my own entertainment, uh, where there was a lot of freedom for creatives to do whatever they wanted and just test things out and see what happens. And a lot of it was rough and zany and wild and very much counterculture to the safe uh, like toy-based animation of the mid eighties uh, that were just literally producing cheap, crappy looking cartoons for the sake of marketing purposes or, you know, selling toys to kids. Uh, so I found that very refreshing to see all those common parallels. And as, as an artist and someone with an animation degree, I know it's, it's very difficult to create something original these days, which is why a lot of people steer more towards nostalgic things or use nostalgic elements in their, in their content to make it feel familiar um, and tap into those special feelings. I was just going to say, there's a great book. I think it's called Nickelodeon Nation. Have you guys read this? I have not. It, it gets into the, um, the, the, the market of the television scene in that, that time era. And, you know, just like you said, Brett, the, the planets really did align. Cable was brand new. It was like the Wild West. Nobody knew what to do with it yet. You didn't have the uh, pressures of the advertisers saying, you got to give me something I can sell toys to, you know, that, so that it, it really was just, let's make the best show we can so that people will buy our network for our, their cable. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's like, I can't think, I mean, there are duds, right? There are duds from Nickelodeon from that era, but even the duds are still fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Totally. Because honestly, if you really think about it, uh, because this is something I think that uh, uh, the general 90s Nick fans take for granted, think about any other network and what was playing on on that network at the time, especially in animation. Uh, by this time, when Rocco came out, we've already had the big three Nicktoons, and they've already shaken up animation. And you're starting to get some other networks that are getting smart with their animation. Because, I mean, Fox Kids had Batman the Animated Series, which is still one of the best uh, Batman adaptations. And they did have some smart kid shows, especially in animation. But you're they're still going for that cash cow uh, because most of them felt safe. I mean, there was a new Adams Family uh, cartoon. Uh, they they were starting to push for more superheroes uh, because Batman was huge. And then they were also pulling comic strip. Mother Goose and Grimm was one of the new ones. And then they would pull out things that were trying to carry out the, what the Turtles had started with as much as I loved it, but it's pretty much a, a forgotten thing now, but the Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa, they're, they're still pushing for those. It's a safe place that's okay for their, for mom and dad to let their kids watch on Saturday mornings or after school. But Nickelodeon had success with great success with letting creators do their job and what is a fun show what is something that we would want to watch and because it worked so well for nickelodeon before and they are now officially at a place where they don't have to worry about is this going to work 
I mean, because when Nickelodeon first started, they they put all their baskets in or put all their eggs in a basket to make sure this is going to work. And and it was a big risk, especially for the the three Nicktoons. But now that's going full swing. And now you've got Snick, which is also going full swing. And now it's time to expand on that. So it didn't feel like as much. It still didn't feel well. It didn't feel like a risk. It felt like a calculated assessment that these others are working great. Let's give somebody else a chance to keep something new fresh. And could you imagine Rocco being on any other network and, and not have the, the freedom that they had on Nickelodeon? No, it's not going to work. It, it, it was, it, it worked for Nickelodeon and they like, we want more of this because more kids want this. And not only that, but their parents want this too. And I guarantee there were more parents who were watching Nickelodeon with their kids than just about any other network. They, they, they might have been in the room when Turtles was on, but you know they weren't watching. They were probably reading the newspaper or something. Yeah. To this day, my mom can quote lines from Salute Your Shorts or Hey Dude or, you know, it's it, because she would. She would stop on the way, you know, from point A to point B and watch a scene with me. Yeah, my dad used to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark with me on SNCC. Uh, that's how I got into the show. So it seems like there's something for everyone to enjoy together, not just the kids or even not just the adults. It's like this this perfect playground on TV where everyone can come together and just feel alive with all the energy. You know, Nickelodeon was just bursting out of the screen with its killer content. Uh, I, I actually have some quick words on Joe Murray, Murray uh, talking about his Rocco pilot when he was first make, making it, which we talked about in our favorite pilot episodes uh, way back at the premiere of season four of our podcast. He says, when I prepared the Rocco pilot, I already had a studio and had done films previously, so I was better equipped to handle the pilot myself with a staff expansion. We animated it all in-house and simply handed over the finished videotape. And... Uh, I don't really have too much to add to that other than the pilot was about eight minutes instead of the 11 minutes when it was redone uh, for series, very much how the Herano pilot was expanded and redone for its own series. But um, that was that was a lot of the testing ground where Rock was finally taking shape. You know, there's subtle differences that ended up changing. I found out that his skin used to be yellow because the toy manufacturer who ended up not picking up Rocco to do a toy line said, oh, that looks too much like The Simpsons. We can't do that. <laughs> and it inadvertently affected its, uh, its character design. So I find little tidbits like that fascinating when I see uh, you know, Rocco as a series taking shape. And you know, of course, uh, the pilot just has Carlos Elzraki uh, doing the voice work for it. He did both Spunky and Rocco. And none of the other main characters are in there. It's just kind of like a, it's got an independent feel, where independent film feel, where you just got these two characters going through a simple situation that's gone awry, and you have a villain, which is Earl the Bulldog, trying to, you know, cause havoc while Rocco's just trying to take out the trash and not lose Spunky at the same time. So it's, I, I think, that little compact teaser of what Rocco's life could be on an average day. Uh, really opened up the possibilities for it, if it were to expand beyond his house into the neighborhood, into the city, into the entirety of O-Town with more characters who he he would interact with. I didn't know that about the uh, the action figures. That's very interesting. And I always questioned why they didn't exist because it's kind of 
haphazard what shows do and don't have them. I mean, Rugrats had a million toys, of course. That makes sense. But Ren and Stimpy has a pretty killer original uh, action figure line. There's about, I think, six or eight figures. Uh, and they're great. Like, they're they're really great. And then, you know, Aureal Monsters has a beautiful line as well. And um, But in between that, you have some shows that, that don't. And uh, I'd love for Doug... Doug would have been nice and I'd love you know Rocco and of course now we have the Funkos and we have some culture fly figures and things of that nature but it's not the same it's not that it's not that 90s line yeah I mean cat dog holy crap the amount of cat dog merch there is and how many times can you do the same toy over and over and over and over and over and over and over meanwhile Rocco has got Next to nothing. Was Cat Dog that big to necessitate? No, <laughs> I don't even remember liking it as much as Rocco. No, and and that's a very interesting thing. You see that in certain shows where the studio has really decided before the launch that this is the next big thing, and so they they clearly go out there and sell the crap out of it to merchandisers, and they produce a bunch of stuff, and then the show doesn't hit, and now we've got this wave of of Cat Dog. You know, there's 900 different cat dog plushies. Nobody wants a single one of them, right? I mean, I've I've got them because I'll see them at a garage sale, but I'm not going out of my way to collect them. You know, it's 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 kind of like that. Whereas, then you get a show like Rocco's Modern Life, and you know, one of the things I love is to show off my Nick collection. And this is just such a hard um, hard one to do because you've got a Hardee's fast food you know, toy set. You've got um, some some plush. You know, I think there's a Rocco, a Spunky, and a Heifer. I think that's it. And you've got a Super NES game. And then outside of that, you know, you got some clothes. you got, a, you know, maybe a little bit of this and that. But so Nick, Nick Box Finals? That's like the modern stuff. But like the, the vintage, there's nothing, right? It's so you could collect everything from Rocco's Modern Life vintage for you could have the whole lot for under 500 bucks I and mean, that never happened now we before we started the episode you were saying that there was something that was in australia what was that so i believe um and i have to check this up but i believe that the australian um were, were the plushes i don't believe the plush were mass marketed here i think um I, I correct me if i'm wrong but i think that's how they went and that's why they're they're so expensive now so to find them is you know, to spend a hundred bucks on each plush, but pretty much everything else is, you know, most of the time the Rocco merchandise you see is grouped with other things. You'll see it on something advertising, you know, all the things. That's really what you, what you get. And it's, and when you look at something like all real monsters, which is not, in my opinion, is not, it's a great show, but it's not Rocco's modern life, but the amount of merchandise for that show, a toy line, a candy line, cookie jars like you know like everything it's got everything and um it's just it's just very interesting to see we get some stuff and then we don't get stuff it's almost like a turning of the tides with pop culture because as things got more popular in the mid to late 90s so did the merchandise uh marketing campaigns where they they almost put the horse before the cart where they're thinking about toys more so than the content of the shows that they're based on so I find that flip-flopping really interesting because it was very creator-driven early on, and then it was more about, okay, how can we get this in front of every 
every kid in America and we're going to do like toys. We're going to do fast food promotions and all that stuff. And that seemed to edge out a little bit of the, the creativity and the magic that made earlier Nicktoons and other shows of the era special. I, I think that's what's wrong with the networks even today and, and Nickelodeon. Like as soon as you hit like 95, 96, they were generating so much cash that you don't want to risk that cash cow or those cash cows. But like today it's, it's, it's the, the networks. They're like, how do we make a show? How do we make kids watch this show rather than how do we make a show kids want to watch? And, and that's, you know, that's the difference between like Rocco's modern life and, you know, the new Rugrats, <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, I see here, Brett, you got some more notes about uh, voice actors. Yes. Uh, of course, we all know that, you know, Carlos Isles Rocky played uh, Rocco and Spunky. We've got Doug Lawrence, who played Filbert. Tom Kenny played Heifer. Charlie Adler, who played Ed and Bev Beakhead. And then um, Joe Murray himself playing Ralph slash Rachel Beakhead, depending on uh, how you're familiar with that character. What Joe Murray had to say on casting voice actors for the pilot, he says... Since the pilot for Rocco's Modern Life featured only Carlos Alves Rocky doing the voices of Rocco and Spunky, which I just mentioned, we had to cast the rest of the series once the show was well into production. We had begun storyboarding the episodes, and Doug Lawrence, who was also an actor, came in to direct one of the storyboard teams. He took a particular liking to the neurotic turtle character named Filbert and felt like he knew what made him tick. When we put out the call for voice auditions, I received boxes and boxes of cassettes, which is what we used back then. Unbeknownst to me, Doug Lawrence had stuck his audition tape in the box, most likely with help from Suzanne Benton, who was our voice and script coordinator. After nearly dozing off listening to audition after audition, I put in one more tape of someone voicing Filbert and quite literally jumped up yelling, that's it. I didn't find out until later that it was Doug Lawrence, so I can't be accused of playing favorites. After he landed that role, it's funny how the episodes he directed always seem to feature a lot of Filbert. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but I, I'm going to put a link in the description once this episode releases. Is that they did a Rocco's Modern Life Live um, like table read of Wacky Deli back in 2012 in downtown LA uh, at an independent theater there, and just hearing their stories of, you know, getting into the show and none of them really having any experience. You know, this was before all of them were famous and legendary thanks to all their IMDb credits. And I just I just love how it's like they're they're hanging out as if it was the first day of Rocco all over again with this reunion. They're they all fit into their roles naturally as they're saying all their different lines. And then I remember them saying like, well, Carlos and Tom, I think, yeah, they, they knew each other. They like lived a block away from each other. And Tom mentioned the job to Carlos, who was working at a gym. So it, it, he had no previous experience with voice acting, and he just gave, gave it like this kind of Australian accent that came out of nowhere that was mixed in with a little bit of Brooklyn, and that's how Rocco's voice was formed. So it goes to show you how serendipitous a lot of these things are pieced together to create the whole series, um, you know, with Doug's, Doug Lawrence's, also known as Mr. Lawrence on SpongeBob, um, who who came into it by just kind of sneaking his audition tape in to give you know Filbert his like Woody Allen esque personality, and then you know Tom Kenny also mentioned in in that live show how 
he came up with the voice of Heifer as essentially being based off of his 13-year-old either brother or cousin, where he kind of, he kind of talked like this while he was going through puberty and be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Rock, let's do it. You know, kind of very upbeat, but also kind of annoying to be around. So he just kind of took inspiration from that and uh, made it its own. Um, so you, you never really know where where these kinds of elements are going to come from, but when they put together, man, is it like an explosion of creative beauty. Heifer's always got that, like, who's that guy on The Simpsons? The, the, Barney the guy Gumbel? that's like, the, yeah, the guy that's going through, like, puberty. My girlfriend's going to kill me. Oh, that, that guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't even think Heifer's he has a name. like, on the high end of that always. <laughs> I have the number 47, the 13, in order of number 6, extra coleslaw, and a large mayonnaise. Here's your taco, mister. Whoops, fell in the fryer. I'll get it out. Oh, oh! Oh yeah, Joel Murray also mentions um, Carlos's uh, stand-up comic experience and how that played into his voice acting roles. He says, Carlos Ailes Rocky was a stand-up comic in San Francisco when he auditioned for the characters Rocco and Spunky. Tom Kenny was an actor from Mr. Show and a stand-up comic when he auditioned for Heifer. For both men, it was their first voice acting gig, and both went on to great successes, both also voice characters on Camp Laszlo, which is a Cartoon Network series that premiered in the early 2000s that kind of has a Salute Your Shorts vibe to it as well. Tom Kenny mentions on his voice acting for Rocco as well, actors love to be let off the leash and just run around. I got spoiled right out of the gate on Rocco, having Carlos, Charlie, and Mr. Lawrence to bounce off of. Man, those were some wild sessions. I take it seriously. I read every script and storyboard before I show up at a session, mostly because the more you know about a story, plot, and jokes in the script, the more thought you can give to tweaking things and making it the funniest or most dramatic it can be. Um, just some more quick tidbits about um, Rocco before we go into more of his legacy stuff and like a more holistic picture. Uh, one, of the, one of the shorts that Joe Murray worked on that led to him producing the pilot was this like two minute animated short called The Chore, which we'll have a link to as well in the description. And essentially he just recorded like a pencil test without even a register bar. Um, like I think he put all the papers against like this pie, uh, like baking tin. And he just recorded all the sounds at home, like the sound of a fridge and a lawnmower and doing all the voice work. And it's essentially just a guy trying to push a cat out a door with comical effect, but it was enough. To, it got him enough attention at independent film festivals that it, it got the ball rolling for him to have the opportunity to produce it you know, a pilot and more stuff, uh, including the MTV bumper that we all know and love, where it shows an early version of Heifer and even the Rocco's Modern Life TV that shows at the beginning of the show where like this guy is running into it and there's some jungle music playing. And then when he goes into the doors of the TV, you know, this big yellow round cow just kind of flies out and then you see the MTV logo with, with grill marks on it. So that was made in 1988, a few years before that. And then right before Rocco's Modern Life, uh, you know, the Trash of Madness pilot came out in early 1993. We had the independent animated film My Dog Zero, where the, the previous version of Spunky uh, came to life, which is the Dog Zero, where this man uh, adopts a dog from a pound. He's not too bright. He's, he's a little bit different than all the other dogs who are like showboating to get this man's attention uh, to have him adopt him. But he loves him for what he is. And they try to do simple things with hilarious effect like play fetch and whatnot. Uh, 
Of course, you know, since we're celebrating the 30th anniversary, the show premiered on September 18th, 1993, and ran until November 24th, 1996, for which it lasted four seasons and 52 episodes in total. Uh, we also mentioned that because of the success, there's also been uh, TV DVD box sets that were produced by Shout Factory, for which Joe Murray did all the original artwork for. I personally have the complete series one because I like everything together and it's just a beautiful set to be able to pluck all the seasons out of, but there's also separate volumes as well available. Uh, there's also a comic book series, which originally was produced by Marvel around 1993, 1994, uh, which had a few issues made. And then of course it re it got like a second wind in the mid 2010s, uh, mid to late 2010s under Boom Studios. So there's now like at least six issues under there. Um, there's also, you know, some T-shirts, there were posters, um, of course, Nick box merch nowadays, which I showed some of like the vinyl figures and shirts and whatnot. I'm fortunate that I have a big background in licensing and, and uh, uh, creation of merchandise and pop culture. And I, and, I, and I do have a sinking suspicion that a lot of the troubles with merchandise for Rockwell's Modern Life actually comes down to character design. And if you watch any of those shows like The Toys That Made Us, things like that on Netflix, you start to hear that a lot of the time they would they would change character design in order for companies to produce merchandise. So when you look at a character like Heifer, the shape of his head, the skinniness of his arms, these are very difficult things to produce. That's why nowadays this makes sense. But if you go back to the 90s, when we didn't have the technology we have today, we didn't have the ability to produce, you know, vinyl figures in the way we can. Um, not something that lends to action figures well, not something that lends to plush well, not something that lends to a lot of those type of things very, very well. And I and I would wager to bet that that is a big reason why companies shied away. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I will say just a couple of notes about the various uh successes that you've seen with uh, Rocco. I'm actually on the hunt for one of them right now. And as soon as I find it, I'll, I'll share it with you. But the the resurgence uh, of uh, retro-based merchandise uh, in, in modern time is uh, over at Box Lunch, the store. They, they, they had a Rocco shirt. Uh, not this one, but it was the one from the show that Rocco wears, the, the button-up with the uh, different triangles. That was really cool to see. But one of the retro things that I remember seeing, uh, which I was really surprised to see, uh, still looking for it. As soon as I find it, I'll share it with you. But there was, there they, they had a character as in like a person in a suit uh, going around Nickelodeon Studios as Rocco, uh, which I thought was pretty cool because you always see Ren and Stimpy. You always see Tommy, Chucky and Angelica, but very rarely would you see uh, a Rocco and I don't remember where I saw it I don't remember if it was at a Nick takes over your school I want to say it was a Nick takes over your school uh, it could have been Nickelodeon Studios I I don't know where but they I did... will say I'm looking at a photo of it right now and it turns out they also had Batley from Eureka's cast they did ah. you're, you're, look, you're looking for the same one that I'm looking for you're, you're looking nice. for the one I was looking for he looks like he's uh, being held hostage by Batley yeah, yeah, yeah. Posing with some kids. Oh, there he is backstage with a shirt unbuttoned. Does that mean he's slightly naked? Actually, you know what's interesting? There's a giant crumb behind one of them too. So I mean, they evidently did a lot of characters. 
Yeah, more than I thought originally. Oh, there he is next to the slime geyser. Oh, yeah. that's fun. That one with the shirt off must have been when he was working the hotline. <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Racco. This is Beakhead. So, yes, uh, we, we've already touched the base on most of the history of Racco. There's really not much to cover, unfortunately, aside from, like, a little bit of merchandise, the series coming to fruition on Nickelodeon, and that's pretty much it. But uh, Rocco luckily got a second wind through Netflix uh, with its Static Cling reboot on August 9th, 2019. And it was originally meant to premiere on November 2018, but through some deal negotiations, it got pushed back. Uh, luckily, it did premiere on its day, and it was met with generally positive fanfare from the fans. It is set in present-day O-Town with even more crazy happenings since the 90s, uh, still parroting a lot of pop culture stuff such as the iPhone and Starbucks and food trucks and uh, energy drinks, you name it. It focuses on Rocco's quest to retrieve Rachel Beakhead and bring her back to her parents and also save the Fatheads in-show cartoon series. It also handles themes of change and transition in life while also poking fun at nostalgia-based pop culture and how it differs today. And uh, I actually have some art pieces that I've done based on this when it first came out. So uh, I ended up doing a Netflix special art piece uh, with Zim and Rocco, you know, underneath the arms of the big Netflix and we'll show that on screen because uh, that seemed to take off and it was actually picked up by a online newspaper uh, to advertise the premiere. I also have some artwork of uh, Rocco and Rachel Beakhead uh, behind the TV kind of staring at it. And the, f the fun thing about this piece of art is that when I posted it on Facebook, back when I was on Facebook, I got into a big argument with uh, a 90s Nick fan on the page that I used to be an admin of saying, you didn't do that art. That was made by the creators. And I'm like, no, uh, here's the master file. See, I'm turning on and off all the layers. I drew it, not them. <laughs> I guess he was just dazzled by uh, how well I was able to mimic the art saw because it was one of my main influences. I, I feel like if you haven't had an argument with another nick person in like a facebook group you're not you might not be really a fan like i think we've all had that happen you know check that out art for yourself if you want prints i can sell them independently otherwise that's my plug and uh we'll go to uh notable characters next because we're here for rocco so we all know the main protagonist we're going to start with our titular character rocco rama and yes that's his last name but it's never mentioned in the series uh, it was mentioned in the scripts. That's how we know. He was in his early 20s in the original series and early 40s in Static Kling. His uh, last name is a nod to the Orama marketing signage of the 1950s popping up everywhere. And uh, fun fact, because I actually did look this up, Orama, quote unquote, is an informal version of the Greek root horama, meaning sight or view. And today, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines the meaning as a spectacular display or extravagant spectacle of an event. Seems pretty fitting, no? <laughs> Rocco is also noted for his meek demeanor, short stature, as wallabies are smaller than kangaroos in the, mars in the, in the marsupial family. Getting tongue-tied here. And uh, also has a big heart, as he does his absolute best to keep his head screwed on tight in a chaotic, ever-changing world that is full of wild surprises. Additionally, Rocco lives next door to disgruntled neighbor and white-collar paper pusher Ed Beakhead and has even worked for him in the season one episode Canned as a conglomo product tester. Speaking of careers, 
Rocco initially began as a comic book clerk. He's also held part-time jobs as a plumber's assistant, a tattoo artist, a naughty hotline operator, an underwear model, a bowler, animation director and voice actor, a Betty Baloney for Wacky Deli, a private driving instructor, and a tow truck driver. As of the Stack Kling reboot, he is currently unemployed as his comic shop job has been replaced by a 3D printing kiosk. Rocco originally worked at the Super Lotto Comics megastore run by Mr. Dupet, who is also Ed Beakhead's boss, and later at Kind of Lotto Comics under Mr. Smitty, the smoldering toad, as he'd often say. Rocco's hobbies include jackhammering, reading comics, camping, skiing, board games, and house cleaning, which I all derive from things he did for fun in the episodes. Of course, he is voiced by the legendary Carlos Elizraki. So how do you guys relate to Rocco as a child back in the 90s and as an adult now? Well, first of all, I, I want to point out the the there are two things, uh, and we'll get to the other one in a minute. But the there's two things that always get shared, all over Facebook or all over Instagram, that concerns Rocco's job. Brett, you know which one this is? Jack Hammering, or the no. it's when he was working for the telephone hotline. Oh yeah, that one gets shared all the time and it was what a 30 second bit on the show and that was that was it it was a one time thing uh the the other one i'll get to whenever we get to have her but um i i personally like the sign behind him when he's operating the 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 hotline where it says remember be hot be naughty be courteous <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i've the one thing that I did resonate with in terms of Rocco, which is also the same thing that I kind of got from uh, Doug, was just how genuinely nice he was. And um, whereas in Doug, he was Doug was surrounded by wonderful people outside of just a, a couple. It was kind of the opposite for Rocco. And being an adult now, I totally get it uh, because you're constantly surrounded by less than nice people uh and it ranges from just a, a mild annoyance to just downright and, mm -hmm. and sometimes for no good reason too and, and you're stuck trying to still have to be polite still have to be professional still have to treat them with some modicum of humanity even if you feel like they don't deserve it uh, i mean we we all know the those people who who don't practice humanity and then there's people who no matter how poorly they're treated they're still gonna try and that's what rocco reminds me of uh, he reminds me of that one person who will keep trying to be nice he'll have moments of of breaking like we all do but he seems to be and understandably so the most relatable character of the entire show yeah yeah i relate to him a lot as um someone who really cares about the people who are closest to him in his life in this case filbert and heifer because his family's all the way in australia so you know we never really get any mention of them except for in the camera shy episode of all places or even briefly in that photo frame in trash o madness where we see him with his parents um yeah, I, I feel like I relate to him even more so now just because he's got a lot of anxiety of how to function in, a, in an ever-changing, chaotic world, and he's just trying to do his best. But I, I really appreciate his big heart and just wanting to keep life simple and sensible. And uh, I also love his bond with Spunky, too, because whether you like Spunky or not, I think 
it's very special to see them, especially when he reminisces in certain episodes where, you know, they go back when he first got spunky or like he's just doing something like playing fetch or even the lengths he goes to save him from harm from other characters who endanger spunky. Uh, I, I appreciate, you know, just having that kind of connection where you're willing to put your own life on the line to save someone or something that matters more than life itself to you. And uh, it's it's a key component to what makes Rocco's modern life successful, other than just him, Heifer, and Filbert having you know relatively immature twenty-something hijinks. Now that they're fresh into the adult world, it's so funny um, watching Rocco now versus watching through the lens of you know seven, eight-year-old. I I never picked up on those like trying to adult themes like like you were talking about. You know, getting your first credit card and making a mess out of it. Uh, you know, trying to hold down a job, trying to date. You know, I didn't pick up on those then, but rewatching now, it it's this whole nother world of uh, of like, you know, the life of O Town. It's it's really cool to to see. It really hits you like a steamroller. Like I even remember when I had to go do my grandmother's laundry for her, and I all I thought about was the unbalanced load episode at the end of season one because it felt like that. I had this big you know, hamper full of all these weird clothes things I didn't want to touch. And I had to figure out how to use industrial sized washer. Hope I don't lose a sock in there to the demon socks who would like try to grab things when you weren't looking like your money. And just even getting a dollar bill to go through the change machine. It's it's so exaggerated, yet it, it just brings me a lot of peace knowing that I'm not alone in these little mundane everyday struggles because, um, you know, cartoonists like Joe Murray have exemplified it through their stories. Well, you know, Brett, laundry day. It's a very dangerous day. day. It is. <laughs> also trash day. <laughs> yep. And bath day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like he's the uh, he's the eye of the storm, right? So everything else is just chaos around him. He's sort of the narrator of the journey that we're on. And um, if I'm getting really deep, isn't that how we all are? We're sort of the narrator of our own stories and everybody else is the chaos around us and they are all individually sort of living that and it's like Rocco is so vanilla compared to the crazy mix of flavors going on and that's and I think it's that it's that dull sort of um, beating of a drum that he is that is so consistent and that's so important because it takes us through that story and so you know I feel like um, like I always really connected with Doug and I think Rocco is not that far off, Doug. And so for me, it's, um, yeah, there's just something about Rocco that I think we all like. We all kind of want to be. We all want that temperament. Uh, let's let's move on to Heifer Wolf, shall we? Uh, we know he's in his late 20s in the original series and also late 40s in Static Cling. So, you know, same, same age range as Rocco. He's a steer adopted by wolves with an insatiable appetite, mostly for his favorite junk food, pasture puffies. He's a lovable, occasionally dependable friend who, while isn't the sharpest tool in the shed, is there to support his best buddy as his lack of fearing life perfectly foils Rocco's anxiety and foil in the literary sense, not aluminum foil. He has also learned about his adopted origins in the episode Who's for Dinner, affirming that he's a steer, not a cow, which is a running gag for him. Heifer's occupations during the series include Christmas tree farmer, a bowler, golf cart course groundskeeper, mail carrier, security guard, underwear model stand-in, wiener quality assurance tester, waiter slash barista at the Chameleon Bros Cafe, 
and a cashier at the Chokey slash Chewy Chicken restaurant. Heifer is adored by his mother, Virginia, and will often put his life on the line to save Rocco from peril. Lastly, his hobbies include roller skating, which he's apparently amazing at it in the Wallaby on Wheels episode, and belching poems in the Weasel Scouts for the Belch of Destiny episode. Conversely, despite his connection to Filbert, Heifer more often tolerates him than celebrates their friendship, as both of them stem from Rocco as a unifying element to their bond. He, Rocco, and Filbert get along best when they have fun on various immature adventures. He is voiced, of course, by the legendary Tom Kenny. So what do you what do you do and find annoying about Heifer's character conversely? Do you feel there's strong evidence for him being a worthy best friend to Rocco? The the thing that really bothers me about Heifer is he seems like he genuinely cares for about a hot minute. And then if something is going to just send Rocco slowly over the edge, I'm going to do it just because I want to watch him freak out. And that really bothers me. Uh, he, he reminds me of one of those, those friends that you have in school or high school that they latch on to you, but you don't really connect with them. And no matter how much you try to shake them, they keep sticking around and, and they're just annoying, but you still try to be nice because you, you still got to come back to school tomorrow and they're still going to be here. And you don't want to, eh. that's what heifer reminds me of just I'm here and you're not getting rid of me. And, but the, the thing that, because I, I was going to mention this with heifer just because We've never really talked about this, and this the second thing that I see get shared, uh, probably more than anything, was the deleted scene from oh, Rocco. Well, it was um, the good, bad, and the wallaby with the milk, the milk device. Nope, not that oh, one. Oh, it's the other one. This, uh, is it the Bates Motel from? That's the Bates Motel. Road, Road Rash. Yeah, yep. but uh, but it wasn't called the it wasn't called the Bates Motel. B A I T S. Nope. This was the no no tell motel. Motel. With new, in. <laughs> with new Wawa beds, uh, because this this aired only once on Nickelodeon, and then uh, for some reason I can't I can't possibly fathom why, but it it, it got on on Nickelodeon's it got on the parents' radar, and there was quite a bit of backlash about this one this one scene. Uh, but uh, Heifer and Rocco are trying to pick a room for the night uh, while they're, I'm assuming, road tripping. And um, first of all, this this character that they've made is is uh, highly racially insensitive by today's standards. Uh, but also, they're just wanting to get a room. But this hotel is not is not for you know what Rocco and and Heifer are trying to use it for. And uh, they say he was like, "How long do you want the room for?" It's like until tomorrow morning. All night, woof. <laughs> and uh, at one point, they're like, "I'm sorry, uh, all the rooms are full." And then a, a thing starts buzzing to let them know that the room is opening. It goes, "Oh, we have a premature departure." <laughs> sorry, we full up. Won't have room for another twenty minutes. You wait. Oh, we have premature departure. You can have room now. How long you want? Just till tomorrow. All night? Okay. Sheila, Eva, 
it just when I first found that delete scene, I just felt very uncomfortable because it felt it felt like a weird dark corner of lost '90s Nick history that was never. It's, meant it's to almost exist. reminding me of like the Prince joke from Animaniacs, the fingerprints. It's very like whoa. I found Prince. No, 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 fingerprints. I don't think so. They were edgy back then. They could do whatever they want. I mean, they were very edgy. They were they were finding where the edge was. Is that early '90s uh, pushing the envelope craziness? I mean, I would have done the same thing. Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna push a joke. Okay, that got away. I want to push a little further. Okay, that got away. I'm gonna keep pushing a little further. Okay, that got away. Push a little further. Oh, you Ooh. guys didn't like that one. Okay, I'll back up. I would agree with you. I, uh, for me, Heifer, I'll tell you, he's the guy, he's the sidekick I love to hate. He's, he's like, he's like Patrick Stump combined with Stimpy. Like, if you were to match those two, you, you kind of get Heifer. And you I mean, you mean Patrick Stump from uh, Fallout Boy or Patrick Star from SpongeBob? I'm sorry, Patrick Star. You know what? Combined Stump and Star. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, Patrick Star from, uh, uh, <laughs> from, um, uh, SpongeBob and Stimpy. When you combine those two, and uh, you get you get Heifer, and I love those two individually. I'm not sure how much I love them combined, and uh, but I do love Heifer. Um, he's a terrible best friend for all the great reasons for us as a viewer, for all the wrong reasons for Rocco. Yeah, you you encapsulated his existence perfectly. I was going to say the same thing. He's fun to watch, but if I were living with him, he would drive me nuts. It also seems like he's the only friend in town. There's very limited options for Rocco for one reason or another. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Hefford and Filbert, and then everyone hates his guts for some unknown reason. Though, if, if your choice is like Heffer and Filbert or the Chameleon Brothers, I mean, mm. I would agree. Well, uh, speaking of Filbert, uh, he's he's another main character of the series, and uh, his full name is Filbert Shellbach which uh, I think got later changed because before he was referred to as Filbert Turtle on the show. Uh, he is his mid in his mid-20s in the original series and mid-40s in Static Cling, and he's a neurotic turtle who reeks of Woody Allen's persona, as we mentioned before. He lives alone in a trailer park, though later married to Dr. Hutchinson in the two-part special The Big Question slash The Big Answer, and had four children with her since the episode From Here to Maternity. Filbert is as introverted as he is nerdy, taking up hobbies such as fashion photography and wig snatching from birds, but he never lets that get in the way of his friendship with Rocco, which has endured ever since he was saved by his wallaby buddy on a playground when they were young kids. Filbert has also had various occupations throughout the show, including stuff on a stick fry cook, grocery store cashier, a comic shop salesman, a movie theater projectionist, a DMV worker, a crooner, a dentist in training, a bowler, a voice actor for Lester Rookfer on Wacky Deli, and sci-fi novel writer in The High Five of Doom. Filbert enjoys reading, though a running gag tied to his hobby involves his catchphrase, I'm nauseous, I'm nauseous, I'm nauseous. Fun fact, he actually vomits off screen after saying his trademark line at the end of Sailing the Seven Z's, which we did a verses of over on Patreon. And he first mentions his vomit neurosis in the beginning of the episode Canned, so look out for those little Easter eggs. Of course, he is voiced by Doug Lawrence. So uh, what are your thoughts on Filbert and his friendship with Rocco and how it compares to uh, Heifer's friendship with Rocco? From the episodes I've seen, I think Filbert is a better friend. 
in in terms of looking out for Rocco, uh, if you got Heifer out of the way, I think he would do. If he if he wasn't so neurotic, he would do more for Rocco. Uh, you get Heifer in the way, then he'll just enjoy the chaos too. But uh, I, I I do enjoy Heifer. I'm sorry, not, uh, I do enjoy Filbert. Uh, I did get a big kick out of the episode where uh, he had a he was trying to be a dentist and ended up poking a hole in somebody's tooth. I found a small hole found. Yeah, but Rocco's uh, tooth. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, but I I, I do. I, it's it's Woody Allen. It, either you like him or you don't. And I have enjoyed Woody Allen, and he kind of reminds me of a more neurotic version of the twins from Doug. Mm, Alamoose Leach, yeah, yeah. They would they would fit in together well in the same universe, whether they all move to Doug or all move to Rocco's Modern Life. They they complete the trio and play uh, Glorak together in in the twins' bedroom. <laughs> Whereas you you would see like Skeeter and Heifer would not get along. No, do, not at all. Skeeter no. would not put up with Heifer's like no way. <laughs> yeah, jeez, would Heifer even get along with Roger? No, I no. Uh, Roger would have gotten annoyed with Heifer. He would enjoy Heifer's chaos when it's targeted towards somebody else. But if but once Heifer knows that Roger's enjoying this, Heifer would uh, latch onto uh, Roger, and Roger would get annoyed with it super fast. It, it's funny you say latch on because I imagine Heifer's like on a similar level to Willie White, which is one of Roger's kind of minions who follows him around. Like, just smart enough to take orders, but not smart enough to think independently. And that's his, like, I don't want to say stupid, but his dim-witted charm comes to play. Yeah. What about you, Carl? I uh, I love Filbert. He was one of my favorite characters. Still is. The uh, the neuroticism is so funny. Um, and I that like it doesn't get much better than you turn the page, you wash your hands. You turn the page, you wash your hands. Yeah. And like yeah. even to this day, I don't I don't really read comic books, but if I'm ever holding one, you better believe I'm reciting that line. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that was derived from the fact that comic books used to be printed on newsprint, and you get this weird like film off of them. So even sometimes the ink would run, so you'd have to wash your hands before you can move forward. Otherwise. And your hands would look like the Sunday newspaper. I, w- I would love to ask Joe if he ever comes on if Heifer and Filbert were, in a sense, representations of the angel and the devil on Rocco's shoulders. Mm, because they're so chaotic good, chaotic evil, in a sense. Like, you know, I, I would be interested to know if there was a, a bit of that. Yeah, maybe it's an extension of Rocco's conscience because he definitely feels like a neutral party among the three. And I wonder if you plucked Rocco out of it, if those two would be friends. I don't, I don't think they would. I mean, Rocco's kind of like the bass player in the band. It, it, he's the glue that holds everyone together. And without that, yeah, you can get away with guitar and drums, but it's going to sound hollow, kind of like the White Stripes earlier uh, songs. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of like the episode whenever you took Jerry Seinfeld out of it, and then you had to watch Elaine and George Costanza be friends, and they're not really. Yeah. Well, wasn't I? Wasn't maybe I'm just making this up in my head, but wasn't there an episode where Filbert and Heifer kind of do the same thing? Like Rocco's not in the picture, and they're like, "Okay, well, what what do we do now?" I think uh, you're right. What one is that? 
I seem to recall that, or it, it could, it could, it might just be a throwaway scene, but that I believe that moment happened. Yeah, the episode where they're fighting over the tickets or something, and Rocco. Can't oh, go, with friends like these, one. yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorites. That's the season four premiere. Um, let's move on to, of course, the the fourth character, who's the unofficial friend of the main character cast. Uh, we got Spunky. He's uh, Rocco's dog, and he's got a big heart, little brain, whole lot of energy and enthusiasm too. This English Bull Terrier's eagerness often misleads him into trouble from which Rocco must save him. The canine companion once fell in love with a mop, got kidnapped by a peg-legged seagull, got a ton of groceries stuck to his tongue, and nearly got eaten by a sentient garbage truck, among many, many other misadventures I can't remember here. Uh, despite the trouble he's constantly getting into, Rocco and Spunky share an inseparable bond. He is also easily distracted by food, derived by Zero, no, not Tim Burton's Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas, and has a distinct, adorable bark, all of which cement him as an iconic character, not only on the show, but in Nicktoon's pet history. Of course, he is also voiced by Carlos Elizraki. What do you like and dislike most about Spunky? Do you feel he's, uh, he's right to belong as an essential character of the show, or he should be downgraded at all? I, I think he's a good plot device to show Rocco's desire to be mature and adult and try to do the right thing. Like every time we see Spunky, Rocco is trying to take care of him in some way. So I, I think, you know, he he works in that sense. Um, comedically, you know, you can, there's two two sides of that fence, right? But I, I appreciate the episodes he's in and I, the, the episodes where he's more of a central figure. In fact, one of my favorite episodes, Dirty Dog, you know, he's, he's the reason for the episode. So um, you know, I like him. I can I can see Alex where you're coming from, thinking he's kind of annoying or taking away from the focus of. Alex the is also a cat person. <laughs> well, I, I'm a cat person too, so, but I, I still like Spunky. I gotta say though, I'm I'm Team Alex on this. Like for me, Spunky is a one sort of one note joke, and um, I do feel you could remove him from the series and it wouldn't change a lot. And I'm such a big Doug fan, and Spunky is no pork chop. But also, Porkchop is anthropomorphic and way more expressive. Spunky's just an ordinary dog, which... Um, I, a... I hope my sentence holds. <laughs> yeah. It could be a downer for a lot of people, but I'm just going to defend that Spunky's just so gosh darn cute and reminds me a lot of my own dog. So He's I, very cute. I appreciate I, that. <laughs> I do like the character, but if you said, if you put a gun to my head and said one character has to go, it's immediately Spunky. I would be holding on to him. All <laughs> and, and the thing about Spunky, it's not that I find him annoying. I mean, I find Heifer annoying. What I, I didn't like about Spunky is how stupid the guy is to the point where he's constantly, constantly, constantly getting in trouble and making, again, more unnecessary frustrations for, for Rocco. I do appreciate the the sentiment between Rocco and Spunky and some of those moments are genuinely super super sweet but they're so it, it's easily one-sided with the amount of times that we've seen Spunky do something just dumb that I've not I can't even imagine a dog doing this many stupid things constantly and and that just that that one thing uh, like i said the the one note joke it, it it just keeps going and going and going and going and going i'm like i don't i don't i don't i don't need that i don't i don't like i don't need that it, it'd be interesting to ask um ask joel if they 
like if they utilize spunky for moments where they didn't have anything else it's like we got to put something here or you know we're we got to hit a, a comedic beat what what do we got you know it'd be interesting to know if joe used him i think that's a great point or like somehow we have to get rocco to a dog park or we have to get him to the beach or to like spunky is the thing that pulls him there yeah i'm also surprised that spunky never had like a, a cat or an adversary i mean there's earl the bulldog but he's kind of just an independent mischief maker uh in the series so well he kind of has an adversary in mr big head yeah because <laughs> spunky does get into salmon bushes quite a bit yeah. and <laughs> But uh, moving on to some of our main antagonists of Rocco's Modern Life, uh, we also have Ed Beakhead, who is a middle-aged man who lives next door with a deep disdain for Rocco, Heifer, Filbert, and even Spunky for their immature antics. He's a white-collar worker who hates his job at Conglomo, but despite his reluctant misery, is a faithful husband to his wife, Bev. Ed also has run for dog catcher president and lost, and worked as a birthday party clown in attempts to escape corporate hell. He and his wife briefly owned a stray dog, bulldog named Earl, who we've seen in the Trash O' Madness pilot, and he had a brief rise to the top of the corporate ladder thanks to some help from his magic meatball fortune-telling toy. It is revealed in the Put the Pasture episode that he used to be quote-unquote handsome before a blunder accident caused by Heifer made him look this way, which I guess that's some weird abstract joke because he looks fine to me and he doesn't look fine handsome. And I think that's also where the handsome Squidward meme got derived from because Ed Beakhead did it first. But that's beside the point. Uh, he also used to love his job when he was first hired by Conglomo in the 1950s, an era booming with metropolitan productivity, and was based on, along with Bev, a pair of mean neighbors from Joe Murray's adolescent years. They are officially the cane-toed variety of animal. And of course, he was voiced by the great Charlie Adler, who also does various voices in animation, such as Ickis from Our Monsters. What are you? What are you guys' thoughts on uh, Ed? My uh, my immediate impression as an adult, well, hell, even as a kid, because I, I say what you will, I did used to watch this with my parents. But Ed and Bev reminds me of an animated version of Al Bundy and Peggy Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just I would agree with that. Just constant misery, but she's oblivious to all of his misery. And I, I don't know. Every time they were on screen, I just felt gross. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it was the voice, especially Bev's voice, how raspy it sounded. She sounds like a smoker. <laughs> she did. And then I, I, didn't, I didn't like that sound. But uh, and again, that, that was kid me. Adult, I'm like, this is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> These two are hilarious. I was just going to say, he's a great antagonist. Uh, all the episodes when he's like a central part of the plot, they're just classic episodes to me. And I love how they play um, Bev against Ed, too, in, in a lot of those episodes. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, sometimes husband and wife are against each other, depending on their stances and they form alliances with other characters or sometimes they're just working together to stomp other people's joy. It's interesting to see how that shifts depending on the scenario. I think Carl's bang on. It's all, it always felt like Ed against everybody. It was like he was alone in that rowboat slowly sinking. You know, that was like his whole, every time you saw him, he was just out there on his own. No one was on his side and he was for no reason at all. Yeah, I would love to dive deeper into his psyche about that. But uh, I think the episode Old Froggy, Old Froggy Foggy or Foggy Froggy, one of the two, 
um, gives a little bit of glimpse into his past before it kind of took a downturn. Um, we also have Bev, since we just mentioned her, who is considered a, a main antagonist of the series. Uh, she's a strong take, no BS woman who exhibits tenacity, ferocity, and sensuality. She's the caring wife of Ed, uh, who has been married to him for the past 40 years, and apparently going on 70 by 2023. She also enjoys watching her stories at home, cooking, and occasionally helping or being helped by Rocco, who brings out her more sensitive side. Whenever Ed needs help, she's there to take over with her strong leadership and organization capabilities. She's also the proud mom of Rachel Beekhead. Overall, she doesn't mind the boys' antics nearly as much as Ed, and even participates in them on occasion, such as strip poker in the Cabin Fever episode, which she won, watching Rocco's home video at the Chameleon Brothers Cafe, and dressing up Filbert and Heifer to impersonate Ed at Conglomo during his nervous breakdown. She also reminds me a bit of my Grammy on my uh, dad's side when she's nice, and Lucille Ball in her later years when, uh, when her more smoker's voice has developed. Of course, Bev is also voiced by the great Charlie Adler. Any thoughts on her that uh, we didn't already mention? Told you what I thought. I think she's a great side character, and I love that she's more of like a half villain than than ed because she does occasionally she does get along with rocco and she doesn't seem to have a personal vendetta against the boys i think she's just more upset whenever there's like a tense situation and just wants to wants to be removed from it as much as possible uh moving on to supporting characters and this will be really quick because there's only three of them uh we have rachel beekhead who's formerly ralph during the original four season run of the series who is the creator of the hit animated tv show inside Rocco's Modern Life called The Fatheads, and also invertently, Wacky Deli. She is the daughter of Bevan Ed Beekhead and found her true identity through her journey in the Rocco's Modern Life static Kling reboot after spending time alone in solitude. Once, she also once sculpted the largest still life out of a canyon rock face as well at the end of Wacky Deli, and now serves frozen treats in her ice cream truck, shaped like the Fathead characters. She appeared with no speaking role in the Christmas special as well and is, of course, voiced by Joe Murray himself. We also have Chuck and Leon, the Chameleon Brothers, who occasionally pop up, and surprisingly, they're, they have an interesting backstory, as we've learned in some episodes. They're two refugees from the country of Balzac who started their own cafe in O-Town to support themselves. We actually learn about this in the episode The Emperor's New Joe, to be specific. They occasionally run two different companies together, too, including a gym, a hair salon, image consultant, and a video equipment rental store. Their bond is so tight that they've never been seen separated on, on screen and often finish each other's sentences and thoughts. They are also voiced by Tom Kenny. And lastly, we have Dr. Paula Hutchinson, who is a perky, smile-filled feline professional with a silver hook for a hand. She's married to Filbert and has four kids with him. Whenever she ends a sentence explaining something complicated, she tilts her head 90 degrees and smiles, okay, or uh, like many O-Town citizens, she's seen many career changes, including a dentist, surgeon, veterinarian, obstetrician, and a pharmacist. So basically anything in the medical field. She also appears in the Rocco's Modern Life Stat Kling reboot and in the Nicktoon Kart Racers 3 video game for modern consoles as one of the characters you can race. Uh, she is voice acted by Linda Wallen. Other inhabitants of O-Town, just to name a few because there's many of them, uh, include the Beaver Cop, Bloaty the Tick, Buddy Gecko, the Cheese Squid, DMV Driving Instructor, who everyone refers to as Don't Get the Fat Guy, 
the dog catcher, <laughs> Earl the bulldog, the elephant DMV instructor, Flecko the fly, Gladys the hippo lady, which we all know for her catchphrase, how dare you? There's also Gordon the foot, who talks, Heifer's family of wolves, Hollywood Studios tour guide, Mr. Dupet, Mr. No Way, one of Conglamo's more vocal employees, Mr. Smitty, Nosy, the talk show host, Peaches, the underlord, Phil the plumber, a Pinky the appendix, Squirmy the ringworm, the beaver emergency responders who constantly go up, 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 the elves across the street, plus Mitch the three-legged elf, the hopping hessian from the Halloween episode, the trash rats, because we're on strike, and of course, I'm a wild pig. So yeah, plenty, plenty of crazy characters involved to make Rocco's life interesting. Um, we also have some main locales of O-Town, including Rocco's house, the Big Head's house, Hollywood, Heifer's family's house, Phillips trailer, Chokey slash Chewy slash Chunky Chicken due to his various name changes, and Conglamo. And those are all the ones that are within O-Town, so I'm not including the ones that go beyond that for their settings. You know, everybody always talks about the, in that, that sequence where Rocco's trying to find a job, you know, the hotline, everybody always talks about the hotline. I never see references to the plumbing assistant, which I think is equally as funny. Can you get that? Thanks, Thanks a lot. lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I first saw that as a, like a seven year old, I was rolling on the floor until the entire episode was over. I just found that hilarious and somehow got better with each, like, you know, pulling up his pants. And I, because he's a pig, I don't, I don't know if the connection's intentional or not, but I think he might be the plumber Phil who later appears in the episode Pipe Dream because he's also a pig and kind of a big stature too. So I wonder if that, that was a connection intentional or not. I will say you did not, uh, you didn't mention my favorite uh, character who is a, a quick throwaway from Sugar Frosted Frights. Uh, we learned that Filbert hates Halloween because of his crazy Aunt Gretchen who was, ra according to him, the line is, she was raised in an aquarium but refused to come out, so she grew into it. And she is just this giant turtle in an aquarium with holes for her feet coming out, kind of like the heads in Futurama, only the whole turtle. And I loved her. I thought she was just a, a two-second gag, and she's my favorite. Um, <laughs> well, moving on, I know this has nothing to do with what we were just talking about, but I figured I'd include it because... You know, Rocco's the kind of guy who crushes pretty easily, as we've seen in our um, Valentine's Day Patreon episode verses. And uh, I've, I found out that in addition to uh, Melba Toast, who we've seen in Love Spanked, well, unseen, because we don't actually see her. She's just referenced as the lady next door. Uh, Rocco has also developed a crush on Elisa, the mail carrier from SWAC, Claudette from I See London, I See France, and Sheila, who also roller skates in Wallaby on Wheels. Uh, what do you? How do you feel about Rocco's love life throughout the series, even though it's briefly kind of peppered in throughout? I think it's very appropriate for a single guy, single adult person who just wants that one person special. If 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 you've not been in the dating scene uh, for a very very long time, dude, this this was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, encapsulates what it's like to be a twenty-something bachelor. Alrighty, I think that wraps it up for our character section. So we're going to take a commercial break, uh, shove some pleasant advertisements in your face, and when we return, we're going to be talking about some of our 
no favorite notable episodes from the series, along with uh, a very fun Say What segment. So don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Rocco's Modern Life. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Rocco's Modern Life 30th Anniversary. If you are enjoying this episode, please hit the like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell, share with your friends. If you are listening on a podcast app, please leave us a review where possible. These very, very simple actions on your part help others to come find us. Thank you all so much. We finally hit a thousand subscribers on YouTube and we cannot thank you enough. Now it's what else can we do? How else can we bring people in? And a big part of that relies on you. So please continue to share. Please continue to support. We can't thank you enough. You guys are awesome. Ever wonder what it's like to creep inside Bloodstone Manor, residing deep within Funky Town? Join us next time, Slimesters, as we head full force into spooky season when we do an episode review of Doug's Halloween Adventure. It's going to be a frightfully good time, and I'm sure we're going to have some lovely guests to join us uh, dressed up in costume. So you won't want to miss this episode action right here on Splat Attack. And bring some candy, too, while you're at it, because we're going to be dressed in costume, too. Trick or treat. Yeah, well, you can check me out on uh, Instagram as 90snick2 and uh, where I show a lot of uh, bits and pieces of my Nickelodeon collection. You'll see some screen used, uh, you know, props and scripts and all kinds of fun stuff from Nickelodeon Studios. And I also have available replica, uh, prop replica uh, versions of the Legends of the Hidden Temple pendant. So it's like uh, made exactly like the prop was. Um, If you're interested, you can check those out on Etsy. Just search for Legends of the Hidden Temple pendant. Um, and if you would like to dive even deeper, you can follow me as well at Nickelodeon underscore collector on Instagram, uh, where I really showcase a lot of my 30 plus years of collecting Nickelodeon merchandise, as well as other sort of 90s stuff that I'm into, Saved by the Bell, Full House, I've got a lot of really great uh, props and collectibles from those shows as well. Um, just, uh, you know, there's, there's actually a really great Nickelodeon collectors community out there. And, uh, you can really cut it by, cut it with a knife right down the middle. Those who sort of collect everything from the nineties and those who have just started collecting recently, like more modern stuff. And, uh, and it's great. It's a lot of great people. And I think between, uh, Carl's page and my page, you can really find a lot of the other collectors out there. And, uh, great community. Please, uh, add all of us. Um, we love the support. We've had animated shows, we've had live action shows, but one thing we have not discussed on our channel yet is puppeteering. This is where Eureka's Castle comes into play. Brett and I sit down with a few cast members from the show to talk about some of the challenges they've faced, as well as when they knew that this was a success. You will only find this episode available on Patreon. Now, while we are talking about Eureka's Castle and it is available now, coming up in just a couple of weeks, Mystery Files of Shelby Woo is making her grand premiere for Splat Attack, and it is a versus episode. She will actually be going up against Alex Mack. 
We are joined by fan of Shelby Wu and also personal friend and cast member of Splat Attack, Jordy, to look at these two Halloween-centered episodes. You will only find these episodes available on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash splatattack to get access to right now the Eureka's Castle and soon to be the Shelby Wu Alex Mack versus episode. You will also get live streams, bonus content, behind-the-scenes looks, as well as other content. So check us out there, make some new friends, enjoy the nostalgia together as a group. Now back to more of Rocco's Modern Life. Okay, well, it looks like that uh, I finished my really quick Fatheads episode during our commercial break, and I've eaten all my pasture puffies. So uh, now that I've, I've... energize myself for the second half of this episode. What are some uh, notable episodes that come to mind for you from Rocco's Modern Life? Uh, Russ, Carl, Alex, rattle any off and then I'll give you my list. The, the only ones that I can really think of are the ones that we've covered on the podcast already. And and I've told Brett this before, I'm terrible, absolutely terrible with episode names. Uh, I can just tell you what happened on them. But, uh, but the Love Spanked and the uh the the one where he was naked and camera shy camera shy thank you and uh sailing with seven z's and uh the christmas and christmas episode and uh thanksgiving also sand in your navel yeah and sanding your navel we've only done about six uh on the show so far and all of them were were fan freaking tastic they, they were all hilarious and they all had standout moments that that and and those ironically were the ones that immediately come to mind because whenever I was watching those episodes, I was like, I, I remember this one because uh, there's still quite a few that I've I, I have no memory of, but I remembered those most of those. So yeah, great episodes, all all six. For me, it doesn't get much better than Zanzibar. That's yeah. just a classic. <laughs> it's so fun to watch. We're a big unruly mom. <laughs> um, I already said uh, Dirty Dog is one of my favorites. Um, Magic Meatball is a fun fun watch. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but the one where Filbert uh, becomes like a lounge singer. His dream is it's to be called a lounge the lounge singer. singer. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah, that, that one's great. Come crawl with me, oh, let's crawl away. Yeah. Come crawl with me, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, there's there's just so many good episodes. It's. It, if I, I could go down the list and be like, oh, that's a great one. That's a, you know, they're just all great episodes. Yeah. I mean, you, as, as a diehard Rocco fan, it's hard not to love all of them because I do love all of them. But if I were to nitpick based on like some sort of significant thing that made them stand out above the rest, uh, I, <laughs> I have about a dozen here to mention. So, Russ, you might want to mention yours before I dive into my list. <laughs> You got it. So a couple notable mentions for me are Cruisin' and Ed is Dead. Love both those episodes. Um, I think my personal favorites are going to be Sugar Frosted Frights and Rocco's Modern Christmas solely because you throw me a Christmas episode, it instantly becomes my favorite. It really doesn't matter which show it is. I'm just a, I'm just a fan of it. And when you look at Nickelodeon christmas episodes i mean they they're so good hey arnold christmas is so good like like they stand out but i will say that i do believe despite the fact that the christmas episode is probably my favorite i do think wacky deli is the best of the series yeah yeah even more so than camera shy i think wacky deli is just 
on it's a whole other level. Yeah, I would love to pick Joe's brain about Wacky Deli because you can almost feel like his angst coming through. It's like a story written about almost what they were going through in a sense. There's a there's a little bit of that in it. Yeah, even when I did the episode review with BOC uh, back in 2020, I felt like Ralph Beekhead's frustration as an artist who just couldn't get ahead and wanted to do his creative stuff. It was all about like what's popular or what will keep people watching. So I, it's, it's one of those things that an artist has to go through throughout their journey in life where they go from like commercial success to wanting to do personal, fulfilling, purpose-driven art again. And uh, I think that's why it, it elevates itself beyond the, the rest of Rocco just because of the, the subject matter and the personal feel to it. And also the satire on animation and TV culture in general. Uh, so for me, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a list, so I'll, I'll just rattle them real quick before we... Uh, wrap things up and head to our segments. Starting off, uh, we've got A Sucker for the Suckomatic, which is the very first episode I ever saw, and it sucked me right in, pun intended. Uh, it, this one, basically, Rocco orders a, a giant uh, vacuum on TV, but it looks nothing like that when he orders it, and then, essentially, he just goes through hijinks and ends up sucking up the entire neighborhood with this thing that has somehow gained sentience. And it's uh, one of the more wild ones, and I like some of the the crazy jokes that are involved. There's also Dear John, which is a episode. It's the only episode my father watched with me of Rocco's Smart Life because it's based off of like Norm Abram and Bob Vila of like this old house where it was like that that carpenter TV show kind of guy persona. And uh, he, he got a kick about uh, of the moment where like the, the John character was describing uh, these yellow screwdrivers that he'd like to play with. And he's like, we'll be right back after these messages. Ooh, he's just like looking through the clear one. And he, <laughs> he laughed out loud because he would do the same thing with his clear screwdrivers when he had nothing better to do on the job. So that's a fun personal one that reminded him of like home improvement. There's also, I have no son, which is the first two parter of the series and introduces, uh, Ed and Beakhead's offspring, Ralph, who's now known as Rachel as of the reboot. There's also Wacky Deli, which is more or less the sequel to that. It's also a two-parter, and uh, you know we already talked about his legendary status of being the original meme uh, with its absurd, ridiculous approach to uh, the animation industry and how it satirizes it with you know a 10-minute jar of mayo being brilliant and everyone just like ripping his dummy to part uh, apart when he pushes him in his car to Hollywood Studios, Hollywood Studios. There's also Put the Pasture, which is uh, showing the origin of when Rocco Heffer and Filbert first met in high school with hilarious results. For those of that who may remember, that's the one where uh, Heffer eats all the potato chips. They stuff a light bulb in his mouth, and there's like just a massive beam of light that shoots into the universe, and they get an A-plus for the project. So uh, that's, that's worth checking out. We also have I See London, I See France, which is the first episode to be set in another country while highlighting key aspects of his culture. But most people don't remember it for it being in France. They remember it for A, the choky chicken being set in the Eiffel Tower, and B, the crazy bus driver that is just dead set on making Rocco and Heifer's life hell while they're there. We also have Future Slock, uh, which is can canonically the last episode leading to the Stat Kling reboot movie storyline, despite not being aired last. And that's where, you know, there's a rock rocket that attaches itself to Rocco's house and brings in the space. And when the reboot starts, it 
they're still in that house and they bring them back to Earth with that conglomerate rocket. So if you want to see that connection, I, I recommend seeing that episode, then go into the reboot. We've got the holiday episodes, Sugar Frosted Frights for Halloween, Rocco's Martin Christmas. We got the big question, big answer, which is the marriage episode where Filbert and Dr. Hutchinson get married. From here to maternity, where they have kids. Canned, where Rocco gets his first job at Conglomo. Fatal Contraption, which is the first and only episode where there's zero dialogue whatsoever. Belt of Destiny, which is one of my personal favorites because it's based off of Boy Scout stuff and Hufford discovers his hidden talent. Uh, short Story, which is based off of like Grimm's fairy tales, and it's also a very sad episode. Uh, Tickle Pinky, which is another tearjerker where Rocco, you know, spends like his last few wishes with his appendix before he passes on to the afterlife. Camera Shy, which we've already covered with hilarious results on Patreon. And of course, Uniform Behavior, which is a creepier episode parodying The Shining, where Effer is a security guard at an overnight uh, building. Any final thoughts before we head to our segment? I do have two final thoughts. And uh, first, I want to talk about the actual intro to the show. And this is something that I realized in watching it. So in watching it this time around, when I growing up watching it, it was just a show intro. And there were things happening, but I didn't really pay attention. But now I actually realize how smart that intro is because we see Rocco's entire life unfold. He gets delivered in a kangaroo pouch, similar to a, a stork. We see a giant clock hits him on the head and time passes and he becomes a teenager. We see his brain get opened up and a book of knowledge goes in and now he becomes an adult. And then he gets catapulted into the real world by this giant sign, this is real world. And it cues us up to where we are. And as a kid, I never realized that the intro was taking me on his journey and telling me like, this is from, from the day he was born to where he is i never knew that i just never knew that so i thought it was a really great intro when you really watch it it's brilliant in the abstract representation of um, you know his journey through life where it seems so simple and pleasant at first and then he's just thrust in the chaos and has to do his best to survive and so he goes into the tv at the end which crushes everyone but really isn't that just a symbol for our escapism and securities <laughs> and you know the other interesting thing I noticed, and it started when I started paying attention to the intro, and then as I got into other shows, for one reason or another, and it may be coincidence, but I don't think so, they seem to use the imagery of clocks a lot. There are giant clocks, or there are really weird, obscure wristwatches. Nothing is uh, digital, they're all analog, and it's very like you see it's in the intro you've got that giant clock i was watching cruising there's a giant floating clock you know you're watching uh sugar frosted frights you've got um, um some of the characters they hold up their arm they've got these big wrist watches there's just a lot of use of clocks anytime they could go to a clock they would and i'd be, be really interested to know why that was important yeah, even even in like Love Spanked or some other episodes where Rocco is like trying not to be late for work, it's always like we're we're racing the clock or hanging on the clock. Because but there's always without... a, there's always a clock. They were constantly animating clocks, and you would be hard pressed. I, I I watched about seven episodes in prep for this, and I didn't find a single episode that didn't have one. So, but if you watch Doug or Rugrats or you know Ren and Stimpy, you never see a clock unless they like really like I'm late for something, but. Other than that, they don't show it, but they always made sure to show. And I just wonder if that was some type of inside joke or they were trying to show. I don't know. 
it's just it, something it, I noticed. It could lend itself to the faster pace of not only the comedy here, but also the the setting because Rocco's neighborhood is more or less a suburb outside of the city where Ed Beakhead works. So it could just make it feel like a more hurried setting than say like Jumbo Street and Doug where everything just feels more laid back and in a rural Virginia. And uh, we were actually talking just before the uh, episode officially started about which variation of the theme song we liked the most. Do we like the original season one version? Uh, Brett was talking about how different the pilot version was and then also the the B-52 version. Um, And Carl, which of those did you prefer? Yeah, I'm I'm a B-52s fan, so definitely the B-52s version. But, you know, they're both great and i think we were talking before we, we started the episode i don't even think i noticed a difference watching as a child um you know until i it, it, i definitely noticed as an adult but back then you know it was it was just the theme song and it was great regardless so uh listen b52s and um you know what it, it's i agree with carl it's like i don't i don't actually recall the difference theme song i always recall watching it with that specific song i I, i'm more leaning towards the season one one just because it feels more innocent and atmospheric like you get those those weird like humming humming sounds of like the jungle or the australian outback where he comes from and get these these high-pitched harmonizing vocals that sound like some sort of characters from his world and then you got this bass voice that's like rocko's modern life instead of the the b52 singer so for that one for that one for me just felt more like down to earth like i i like the b52's one it feels a little bit more intense and hectic and goes along with the increased chaos that we're exploring in later seasons of rocco but i liked i like the simple innocence of the first season one just because it feels like him entering the adult world for the first time and a lot of the season one episodes reflect that because they're based around simple things he has to do as an adult like oh i gotta go grocery shopping oh i gotta go get my license at the dmv you know simple things like that even give spunky a bath it's just like okay you're starting off the training wheels are off you're no longer in college or school or whatever and you just have to figure out how to do these things by yourself and make it work and I think it works for me. And plus it goes deep with my nostalgic memories too of getting in the show right when it premiered. And see, I had no clue. Uh, I, I have no memory of the season one uh, theme song. Whenever I was thinking of Rocco, even as a kid, I always heard it as B-52s in my head. And I didn't even know that was B-52s when I was a kid, uh, but that's the sound. And um, whenever I I became an adult and I did start checking out some of these episodes for the podcast, it it was while I was making the podcast when I realized that's different. Why is that different? That doesn't sound like the one I grew up with that I that I make this up. And of course, I found out soon after, like, no, there was there's two versions of the theme song. But uh, just just because it's the one I associate with the most, the, the season two onward version. Well, uh, I think we're going to head out of O-Town and head into our segment now, which is Say What? Say what? Say what? Say what? Say what? Well, for for Say What, because I'm... Usually I play, and Brett doesn't really get much of an opportunity to play, but 
I, I feel like this would be more up Brett's alley to play this version. So for this entry of Say What, I'm going to take a back seat and I'm going to host the thing and keep the score while the three of you are going to try to guess who said which quotes from uh, which character said each of these quotes. We should buzz in with our own quote. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get started with our first one. There are nine questions altogether, and then we have a lightning round at the end. Uh, so for the first question, for two points, your quote is, I hate my life. <laughs> oh my. Brett? Ed Bighead. That is Ed Bighead. Two points for Brett. Question number two, also for two points. Bad luck and misfortune will infest your pathetic soul for all eternity. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, Carl? I'm going to throw this out there. I don't know if it's right. Is it peaches? Nope. Uh, it is not peaches. <laughs> oh, my. Brett? Is it Filbert? It is Filbert while he was... I was going to guess Filbert. While he was reading the fortune cookie. I'm Mr. Lucky. I'm on the lucky spin. <laughs> Brent is now up to four points. And speaking of, question number three is worth four points. So you guys have a chance to catch up. Give me a Barrett badge. Give me a merit badge now. Ding, ding, ding. Carl. That is Heifer. And it's one of the best lines of the series. Yes. That yeah. is Heifer. All right, question number four, also worth four points. Woohoo! Here they are. Here's the tickets. Here they are. I found them. Here they are. Oh boy, look at that. Look at all the tickets. A ticket for you, and a ticket for you, and tickets for everybody. Now we can all go. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Brett? It's me, Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> Rocco. This is when he has his nervous breakdown at the end of with friends like these, uh, when they have the tickets to go to the, I think the, some sort of match, and he's like, oh yeah. After Heifer and uh, Filbert have pulled him through the ringer of various obstacles, he's just like, um, oh yes, oh, here they are. Here's the tickets. Here they are. <laughs> you know, trying to keep it together. All right, question number five, worth six points. Still still some chance to catch up. I mean, you have absolutely no charisma, and almost everyone hates you. <laughs> oh, my. Brett. Is, is it Bev Beekhead? That is Bev Beekhead. I think she's saying that in response to why Ed feels like everyone hates him. All right, question number six for six points. Little Poots, Little Poots. Oh dear. Ding, ding. Russ. Is that, I, I wanna say that's really, really big man. That is really, really big man. Russ is officially on the board. On the board. And we still got a couple more, so still chance to catch up. Question number seven for eight points. Rocco, you put me in a jar? <laughs> ding, ding. Oh, my. Oh, it's a tie. <laughs> Was it three-way or two-way? Alex two -way? makes the call. Who got it? Uh, let's see. Well, let's just just uh, a chance to catch up. We'll go with Carl. That's pinky. That is 
Pinky. Carl had the least amount of points so far, but that has now changed. <laughs> so far, the score is Brett with 14, Carl with 12, and Russ with 6. Still and... chance to catch up because this next quote is also worth 8 points. You better keep up, big head. You better keep up or keep out. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Brett. Mr. Dupet. That is, uh, it's not Mr. Dupet. At least that's not what I got here. Oh, <laughs> oh my, Brett. Can I can I answer again? <laughs> sure. Mr. No Way. Mr. No Way. Yeah, it was in the Magic Meatball episode. I remember now. Final question for ten points. You'll never be satisfied by a normal woman because the elf witches are so beautiful, and you'll spend the rest of your life searching for that same beauty again. Yes. Wow, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh my. Brett. That is the elf fanboy um, speaking about the elf wenches. And then there's like an elephant guy who's wearing a nuclear swans shirt who's saying, wow, you're an idiot. And that is in the canned episode. You are correct, good sir. The way he says it is hilarious and also surprisingly relevant to... Uh, nerddom culture today <laughs> all right all right so li lightning round is name New lightning as... music lightning yes. sounds name as many Rocco's modern life episode titles as possible within 15 seconds and you get two points per correct answer you're all time yeah go. Who, who's gonna go first russ you want to oh. go first since you want to catch up sure um all right uh, Go. Rockwell's Modern Christmas, Future Schlock, Static Cling, Put Out the Pasture, Cruisin', Wacky Deli, uh, Sugar Cross Frights, and his dad. Time's up. All right. Why get maybe six? Russ, you got seven. Seven. That's better than I thought I would do. All right. All right. So that gives you a total of 14 points with that round and Carl will do the same for you um a sucker for the psychomatic dirty dog Zanzibar Sandy or Nabel um carnival of knowledge that one I can't remember um stop it's not easy <laughs> it's yeah it's not it's, uh, it is not easy uh Brett just just for clarification is uh, Carnival of Knowledge. Is that the name of that episode? It's Carnival Knowledge, but I'll give it to him. Okay. So that is... You, you got five. Okay, so yeah. ten points. Which gives you a total of ten points. So you two got very close with each other. Brett, do you want a round? Just, just, uh, oh, yeah. All right. Let me see if I can break a hundred. All right. <laughs> oh, this competition has me nauseous. Uh, yes, I will time it myself. <laughs> Okay, ready, set, go. Sucker for a Suckomatic, Dirty Dog, Leapfrogs, Cabin Fever, uh, Wacky Deli, I Have No Son, um, Fatal Contraption, Zanzibar, um, Icy London, Icy France, Swack, uh, The Fat Lands, um, uh, uh, okay, time's up. That it gave trips you. you. That gave you 22. 
So, Brett, you had a, fi a final score of 54 points, which I think that's a new record, isn't it? I think so. I think my previous record is 36. And uh, that leaves Carl with 22 and Russ with 20, which is still a very respectable score altogether. It, it. It's just, it's just, it, it would be the equivalent of facing me with James Bond trivia. It's, it's, you, you might as well give it up. But uh, it's listen. I'll, I was always fighting for second. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all for fun. Oh yes. Yeah. All right, guys. So that was pretty fun for say what? Probably a little bit more for me than you guys, but that's okay. No prizes are at stake. No money's at stake. It's just for. Anyways, let's go into our collector's corner to see what kind of fun goodies we have to share with our slimesters. Now, it's time for Collector's Corner. Alrighty, so now now that we're in our Collector's Corner, uh, what do you got for us? Not a lot. Um, tough, tough property to have a lot of merchandise on. And uh, some of my stuff is kind of painted in my basement. I had to take my collection apart. So I've got some really cool cells and stuff, but couldn't find those. But what I could find, uh, so Joe Murray did a uh, Kickstarter many years ago uh he was funding a new project he was working on and during that he was offering up uh personalized drawings uh, at a very reasonable price and so i kind of got the whole cast so it's tough to see with the filter on here but there's oh, nice. uh, rocco and spunky and uh of course we've got heifer and then we've got the big heads <laughs> and my personal favorite Gilbert. <laughs> wow, they all look So great. we've got, uh, and, and you know what? He must have had to do thousands of these because he sold quite a few of them. And, uh, you know, I saw a bunch of people as well, and they're all a little different. As you can tell, he just smashed them out real quick. But um, that's what I got. Yeah, I've got a couple things. Uh, I, I shared this last time, but because we're at, you know, doing Rocco again, I'll share it again. One of my sure. Rocco animation cells there. Very cool. Uh, from Dirty Dog. Love it. Love it. And um, I, I, like Russ said, there's just not much out there of Rocco. And being a animated thing, like, there's just not much, period, besides cells or maybe scripts yeah. from the production. But I've never seen one of those for sale. Um, so I, I broke into my VHS vault and I grabbed a few tapes um, from the collection. So, you know, old VHS tapes. This one is from uh, November 28th, 1996. It's a nonstop Nicktoons weekend. Yes. Uh, so it's a Rocco marathon. There's a few episodes on there. Oh, fine. Autofocus or not. But um, so that's one. And then I pulled a couple other. Um, uh, these are Stick Stickly, Nick in the Afternoon blocks, also mm -hmm. with uh, Rocco episodes oh. on. So very cool. Yeah. You know, not not much there, but yeah. Yeah, it's OK. The the uh, nonstop Nicktoons weekend that that one. Do you know if that's the one off the top of your head where Keenan and Kel were hosting? I think it is. Yep, yep, where Kel is like mm. powering the machine yes. with the bicycle. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I, I, I had just put together uh, one of the uh, We'll Be Right Back episodes for Thanksgiving, and uh, they're all Thanksgiving spots, and I have a whole section that is just the Keenan and Kel nonstop Nicktoons weekend section. So that's that's fresh in my mind right now. So you'll all, if you're if you want to check it out, Slimesters, 
head over to Patreon and stick around in November. As a as a Patreon member, it's worth it. You you go you're gonna want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Endorsed by our guests. And Russ has also been on our Camera Shy Patreon episode, and he had a blast. So go check it out. There's more content for you. <laughs> um, before we collect, um, close out collectors corner, I'll just show these again real quick. I have I love collecting action figures and vinyl figures and stuff like that. So I have the Heifer one from No Pain No Gain uh, Knit Box vinyl here. I, I just like seeing him in a 3D form. That's fairly show accurate to him. So there's that. And then, of course, the Lounge Singer version of uh, Philbert. Looking very dapper, although his shell is not showing up too well thanks to green screen technology. That should really be blue screen because I prefer green as a color. And then lastly, we've got Rocco from the Hut Set Raw episode with his little knapsack, which I like. Uh, I have seen Funko Pop uh, figures that kind of use a very similar head mold, and I used to have it, but... I lost it in moving, so I don't have that anymore. And I used to have the, the Rocco's Modern Love and the Rocco's Maniac or Mechanic Madness VHS tapes that used to be orange. And he was like, his heart was out. And then for the other one, he was running away from the Suckermatic and the Trash of Madness uh, garbage truck. So, Doing a shirt. Yeah, I got a new shirt. Check that out. That's that's a collectible. It's, uh, it's from a place called T-Love, I believe. And they do some really fun retro shirts some of them tie-dyed some of them solid and uh i'll be wearing a couple of them later this season uh definitely for a ren and stimpy episode and an angry beavers one so check those out once we get to those topics Alrighty, guys i think we've uh we're all out of energy from o-town i was trying to make that like an onomatopoeia but <laughs> it didn't work um any any closing thoughts uh, about the 30th anniversary of Rocco or the series as a whole. Closing closing thoughts. Uh, as as always, it's just a big thank you to both our guests. This was a, a lot of fun to have you both here. Uh, Rocco is a fantastic series, and I'm, I'm even though I've not got the chance to watch the whole thing again as an adult, I still very very much enjoy it. I look forward to watching more. Thank you to both Carl and Russ for being here. It was such a blast to have you guys here, and uh, I, I look forward to having you both on again, both as individuals and hopefully together as a group again. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks, thanks for having us. Uh, uh, you know, I I love to wax nostalgic on my favorite Nick shows. So, anytime you want to talk, let me know. Totally, totally agree. Appreciate it. Um, second time on the podcast, uh, much like on SNL, when you do five, you get that jacket. So I'm looking forward, <laughs> yes. looking forward to another three so I can, oh. you know, um, but uh, it was really fun, really fun to be, uh, you know, on with Carl. Uh, that's uh, super exciting. You know, we're two guys who have uh, sort of respected each other for a while now. So this is a really cool moment. And uh, as for Rocco itself, um, Man, I'm just so glad I lived through the live sort of run of it. And I was that perfect age for it. I think there's something to be said about being, you know, like a like a kid in that moment. And uh, Rocco was part of that. So it shaped, shaped some of who I am. And it's just great to be talking about it still. Wholeheartedly agree. So thankful I discovered it as a kid and have it influence my life in a positive way. From uh, animation to just outlooks on life and how to handle the craziness that we deal with every day. Uh, I have, I have two things to mention real quick or two and a half. Uh, one, Carl, if, 
next time we have you on, we'll give you your SNL golden jacket because that'll be the fifth time. <laughs> um, number two, I forgot to add before when we were talking about banned scenes that the episode Leapfrogs was banned after it aired once. And the second segment would often be replaced with, I think, the good, bad, and the wallaby, but I have to double check that. It's on the it's on the wiki page, so Slimesters can do, go do their additional research if they'd like. And third, I have a quote from Joe Murray uh, where he draws Rocco on YouTube when I like saw a recording of that that I think perfectly encapsulates his his experience during the show. He says Rocco was more of a personal project for me. But there's a lot of budding heads with the network, which took the enjoyment out of it. Camp Laszlo was more enjoyable because Cartoon Network at the time was a better home for the show. Advice? A life in art is the most challenging and rewarding path you can take. Make sure you have the stomach for it and take the ride. It's a blast. Well said, Joe. And hopefully if you're hearing this, we'd love to have you on to talk Rocco or anything else that you've had a hand in uh, in the animation world. Closing question. If Rocco's Modern Life were to continue as a revised series today, what would some season five scenarios look like? Write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at splatattackpodcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at splatattackpodcast or interact with us wherever you find us on social media via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Patreon where we got some fun bonus episodes in case you haven't heard that already. Thank you again, both Carl and Russ, for joining us. It was an absolute blast to have you on again and uh, just share the nostalgic memories of one heck of a Nicktoon. Until then, Alex, will you scrape the slime off the wall for us, please? I've got to convince Rocco to tune up his jackhammer and practice for the Great American Jack-Off this weekend. Aye, aye, co-captain. Now, while you do that, Ever, Filbert, and I will try to win some tickets from that crazy-eyed walrus's radio contest to go see it. Uh, I, I heard you could only win two, though, so you might want to find an alternative plan to attend. To the Old Town Googleplex! Hey, wait! That's that's not what I had in mind. You're supposed to enjoy jackhammering together with me. Oh, oh what's the use? Come on, Rocco. Let's go see what else we can do to pass the time. Oh look, a board game. It's called Spank the Monkey. Gee, I wonder how you play. Spot you later, Slimesters. <laughs> oh my, anniversary day is a very dangerous day. episode of Brocco's Modern Life? Never! Can you last a few more days? Never! Without an eye popping? Never! Flap flattening? Never! Wallaby walloping Rocco adventure? Never! Then Nickelodeon's? Never! Gonna keep you waiting. Oh, 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 oh! Look, 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 look! For another episode of Rocco's Modern Life, this Sunday at 11.30, 10.30 Central on Nickelodeon.